few weeks ago, Steve shared some thoughts from Revelation chapter 4. And he mentioned that Revelation 4 and 5 are actually a package deal. They're, they compose one vision. And so he's going to continue on sharing some thoughts from Revelation chapter 5. But before he does, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Revelation chapter 4. We are going to begin in verse 1 and read down to the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone around like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is not the Good Friday that many of us were anticipating even just a few weeks ago. Uh, but as Jake reminded us in reading Revelation 4 uh, this morning, the reality is that God is on the throne and God is not surprised by anything that's be taking place even now. And John, on the island of Patmos, was in many ways in exile and isolation, and yet God showed him uh, this vision of his grandeur and his glory and his sovereign rule and holy power. So we, we want to remind ourselves that even though we're not gathered together the way we would like to be, uh, we still have access to the presence of God. Now, Revelation 4 doesn't give you that access. Revelation 4 actually gives John a glimpse into heaven to then show him that he doesn't have access to the throne of God. It's Revelation 5, the second half of this vision, that shows John how it is that he can come into the presence of God. Not only that, but I actually think the ending of Revelation 5 gives tremendous comfort and tremendous hope for those of us uh, who wish we were gathered together in a wider assembly of praise. So hopefully we'll be able to see that uh, in due course. 
rather than reading the entire chapter, uh, I'm just going to plan on reading a verse or two at a time, and then we're just going to walk through this sort of narrative together. So Revelation 5, this is just continuing on from Revelation 4. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now again, in terms of hermeneutics, uh, these chapters really do contain symbolism, which would help you read the book of Revelation. I mean, the, the symbols are not that difficult to sort out if you just pay a little bit of attention. Uh, the right hand, of course, is the hand of honor and the hand of power. And it's the right hand, uh, the hand of honor and power of the one who sits on the throne. Now that being has been described in chapter four. This is God himself. And so there's a scroll that is held in the hand of power and honor by Almighty God on his throne in heaven, surrounded by all of these obstacles uh, that Revelation 4 describes. It has writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. That is, uh, scrolls in the ancient world, because of their sort of cross-hatch construction, would only ever be written on one side unless the material was so significant it had to be kept all in one place. And so the fact that this scroll has writing on both sides uh, indicates that it's completely full and it's completely important. This is one vitally packaged unit of material. And sealed with seven seals means that it is perfectly, completely sealed up. And I saw, verse 2, a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. Now, the vision now moves a little bit in terms of pacing and drama. You have this scroll in the hand of God. And then they get a mighty spokesman to stand up, you know, to challenge all of the created universe. Who is able, who is worthy to sort of take this scroll from the hand of God? What we'll see later in Revelation, actually, is that when the seals are broken, some of what's written on the scroll begins to come to pass. That is, uh, opening the scroll brings the, the decrees of God into sort of actualization. It, it begins, they begin to become in, enacted at that time. In the same way that if a herald takes out, you know, a king's decree and then breaks the seal and opens it up and starts reading it, uh, that proclamation uh, actually is, it, it does something. That, that proclamation actually helps bring about law. It brings about change in behavior. I mean, you think even today, all it's taken is, you know, our, our governments making certain announcements and societal behavior has changed. Sort of a new order has been constructed in society. So there are things like social distancing that, that literally, you know, until a month ago, no one had even heard of the term social distancing. And, and now it's like we hear a hundred times a day. Um, and so you, you go to the grocery store and you see the lineups and, and the spacing. Everything is different simply on the basis of verbal proclamation. Now, in an analogous way, for God, when, when this scroll begins to be opened, the purposes of God that are inscribed on it 
begin to become enacted. They, they become uh, in force. They begin to take place. So who's able in all of creation to bring God's purposes to pass? Who's the one who's able to actually come to God, to approach the throne, take the scroll out of his hand of power and honor and might and authority, and open it up? In other words, who is the agent who can actually bring about the plan and purposes of God? A mighty angel challenges all of creation, and no one, not David, not Abraham, not Paul, not Peter, not Gabriel, none of the four living creatures in Revelation 4, none of the angelic host, no one is able to come to the throne and enact God's purposes. Verse 4, then John's response is, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Here, uh, you know, John is, is, in many ways, he, he's already in exile. We've noted that. He's already in isolation in this prison colony of Patmos. And now it looks like at the end of his life, all of his friends and, follow up and fellow apostles have been martyred. It now looks like, in this visionary context, that something impossible is going to happen. It actually looks like God's purposes are not going to come to pass. It, it looks like somehow God's uh, sovereign plan and will of decree is going to fail because there's no one who's actually able to accomplish his purposes. So John weeps. And so one of the elders from chapter 4 comes to him and says, Listen, you don't need to weep. There actually is someone who's able to open the scroll. There is someone who's able to bring God's purposes to pass. And that person is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, if we had more time, I'd want to expound a little bit on that in terms of those Old Testament prophetic images, uh, but we'll bypass that for now. Uh, except to say this, the line of the tribe of D Judah and the root of David uh, obviously makes this a human being. This is a, this is a genuine human being with an ancestry and lineage, but he's also in the royal household, so he's able to rule and reign as the Davidic king and the Davidic messiah. Now, one of the things that apocalyptic literature does is it often mixes its metaphors. So you're told, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah is able to open the scroll. And so now John is going to look and you're going to expect that he's going to see a lion in terms of apocalyptic imagery, but he doesn't. Verse 5, looking to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, you read this, or verse 6 rather, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So you're looking to see this conquering royal lion, and you see a lamb. And the lamb does not bear the marks of victory, the lamb bears the marks of defeat. Of course, and that's what we're remembering in a special way on Good Friday. 
we're remembering that the lamb has been slain. And, and, and yes, we move from the cross to the empty tomb. We move from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. We move from death to resurrection. And we, and we need to. But sometimes we can move a little bit too quickly and not spend proper time actually meditating on the cost of our redemption. Death preceded resurrection. The, the, the crucifixion, the slaying of the lamb, preceded his victory and his ascension to glory. But the lamb that's seen here, uh, looking as if he's been slain, is standing at the center of the throne. That is, he's in the presence and power of God. Uh, he is in, he's in the middle of these four living creatures. They encircle him. And so part of the question is, how did he get past all these obstacles in chapter 4? How did he get past these cherubim, that is, the guardians of the holiness of God? How is he at the right hand of the Father? Well, I think you can make a very good case, and, and, and as the chapter unfolds, this becomes clear. You can make a very good case that this lion from the tribe of Judah, this root of David, who is a genuine human being, is also genuinely God. That is, he is fully God and fully man. That's the only reason he can be where he is in the center of the throne, encircled by these living creatures and the elders. It's the only reason he can come up to the throne of God and take the scroll from the right hand of the Father himself. Now, you can almost imagine the hush in heaven when you see the Son metaphorically the lamb, come to the right hand of the Father in the throne and take that scroll that he is able, in other words, he is able to bring God's purposes to pass. And what's going to happen? Well, the response is this in verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So, in the very presence of the Father, the living creatures and the elders fall down before the Lamb. That is, they are ascribing to Him honor and glory, as we will see actually as they do in song in just a moment. They are worshiping the Lamb in the very presence of God. Worship, of course, is only for God Himself. And so the fact that they do this without judgment is evidence, the strongest possible evidence, that the Lamb is God. They have harps, which are the, the instruments of joy, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now listen, this is, this is an amazing, almost throwaway image. Uh, that is, the prayers of God's people are, are not remotely uh, the focus of this text. But even here, you're supposed to, supposed to envision these... Uh, 24 elders, the, these kingly rulers, each one having a, a golden bowl filled with incense, perfuming the throne room of God. And that incense, metaphorically, or sorry, the, the incense is a metaphor for the prayers of God's people. Which means right now, where, wherever you are, when you pray to the Father, it's like these, these mighty beings, these kingly rulers in heaven itself, collect your prayers into a golden bowl and present it to the Father 
and the one who sits on the throne receives your prayer in that valuable royal container, precious and, and beautiful. And your prayers are what make the throne room of God himself sweet and beautiful. Now that's something. And so when you stop and when you pray this weekend, you know, even though you're not gathering with God's people in the way that you're used to, your prayers are ascending to heaven. Your prayers are perfume and incense in the sort of heavenly temple of God. And they sang a new song saying, verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you are slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That is, the Lamb is worthy to take the scroll. The Lamb is worthy to open the seals because, oddly, almost paradoxically, because he's been slain. But then you realize that the scroll of God, the, the, the purpose and plan of God for the universe is a redemptive plan. Now, when the seals are opened later in Revelation, the judgments are released. We understand that. But God's plan is, is one of, of comprehensive sovereign providence. He has a sovereign plan that he's enacting. And, and that part of that is, is judgment. But at the heart, it's a plan of redemption. And this, the Lamb is able to save and to open the scroll, uh, to enact the contents of the scroll, to open the seals, precisely because he is the one who's been slain. He's the fulfillment of Passover Lamb. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. All that imagery. He's the one who actually provides a sacrifice of atonement that atones for sin. So because of that, because of the fact that with his blood, he purchased people for God, for every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. In, in other words, uh, and you say this literally, uh, quite literally, thank God that he's not just the Savior of the Jews. Likewise, thank God he's not just, just the Savior of the Gentiles. Uh, he, he's not just the Savior of one type of person, one ethnicity, one language group. Uh, his saving blood, his, his redemptive blood is not merely effective in certain geographical areas. Uh, governments cannot limit the saving power of the blood of Christ. With his blood, he has purchased people from God all over the globe. And not only has he done that, and he's done it successfully, he's also given them a job to do. That is, he's made them to be a kingdom and priests. And they will reign on the earth. Verse 11 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. That's, that's the biggest number imaginable in Greek. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. So what you're supposed to envision now is, is, you, is you go back a little bit. And you remember the stage setting in chapter 4 is, is vital for this. In chapter 4 you have the central throne. And around that central throne, you have 24 other thrones. And you also have a rainbow that shines like an emerald that encircles the throne. And then you have four living creatures around the throne. So you have these concentric circles. 
It's why it, it's noteworthy that the lamb appears inside of these circles, inside of the rainbow, inside of the four living creatures, inside of the 24 elders, right at the central throne. But now, not only do you have, you know, these concentric circles, now it's like every angel in creation comes flying in to create this outer rim, this, this great host of heavenly beings, angelic creatures, you know, cherubim and seraphim, all sort of peering over each other's shoulders, all straining together to get as close as they can to the Lamb and to, and to the one who sits on the throne to see what's going on. There's... There's no social distancing in the angelic realm whatsoever in this vision. Uh, you can't even count the number of them. And in a loud voice, they're saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In the very throne room and presence of God, they're worshiping and praising the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Then, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. This is, so now, there's another concentric circle. You, know, you have the angels uh, around the, the elders who are around the four living creatures who are around this central throne. And now you have everything in all of creation, the largest circle possible, entering into that praise as well, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. All of creation praises the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne with the exact same words in the exact same song. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You can never, you could, you you would never have a song in heaven to him who sits on the throne and to the Apostle Paul, to him who sits on the throne and to Billy Graham, to him who sits on the throne and to Moses or David or Isaiah or whoever. Now the Lamb is God. Revelation five, I actually think, is one of the one of the clearest texts for proving the full deity of Jesus Christ. He is worshipped in heaven with the Father. But notice, everything in creation is enlisted in this song of praise. Now, for us, I'm speaking, looking at an iPhone on a tripod. I'm in the church library. There's no one else in this room. The auditorium on Sunday will be empty. You are not having gatherings of friends or large gatherings of family this weekend for Easter dinners and celebrations. Some we know are spending this weekend in the confines of a nursing home or hospital room. If ever there was a Good Friday or Easter Sunday in which we could feel isolated, it would be this one. 
and yet. This text tells us that not only are you not alone, you are actually part of a global choir and chorus that are praising the Father and praising the Lamb. In fact, you'll remember when uh, the Arameans come out to capture Elisha. And Elisha's servant goes out early in the morning to get some water. And he sees all of the chariots and hosts of the Aramean army. And he comes running back inside. And he says, Elisha, you know, we're in a lot of trouble. And Elisha comes stumbling outside. Apparently he's not a morning person. You know, he, he comes stumbling outside the tent, you know, rubs his eyes, hopefully washes his hands afterwards, uh, rubs his eyes, looks around, and he says, oh, what are you worried about? It's just the Aramean army. And then he says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And the eyes of the servant are open and he sees all of the angelic hosts surrounding them in their flaming chariots. Right now, all by yourself or with, a, or with you know, a small, small number of people, whether at home or in hospital, do you realize that your room is filled with angels who are praising God? Right now, at this very moment, a prayer offered to God is collected in a golden bowl and presented to him to make his, sort of the environment and atmosphere in heaven sweet and beautiful. That right now, you can be part of a universal choir that's praising God. Why? Because the Lamb has done it. The Lamb has purchased people for God with his shed blood. And because of that, we have forgiveness of sins. And also we are part of this glorious group that exists to praise the Lord. Anytime, anywhere. See, we can't, we can't meet, but we can worship. We, we are not having services, but, but worship is not canceled. But in Revelation 4, we find that, that the... The four living creatures, day and night, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Worship is always rising to God. And whenever you pray, whenever you worship, you are, you are part of this created worshiping group. People on earth, people on earth and, and in the sea and under the earth and all through the heavens living creatures praising God. You can do that too, wherever you are. So may God help us. May God help us to have eyes to see. May he help us to realize that, that this is actually a unique opportunity. On Sunday, we won't be gathering together as a church family, but we are a church family. And we can worship together. Because every creature in heaven and on earth, the sea and all that is in them, every creature through Christ has the opportunity to join in the worship of the Lamb. Now let's pray together. Father, we would ask that uh, you would help us to truly worship. And Father, I would pray in a very special way that we would 
as we worship, feel deeply in our hearts the fellowship we have with one another, with the created order, and with the hosts of heaven as we join together in worship. Help us to worship and help us to realize that as we do, we are not alone. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that your spirit indwells us, that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. And help us to worship. Help us to experience unity and communion in worship this weekend on the basis of the shed blood of the Lamb, his resurrection life, and him being able to open the scroll. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may God bless you. And may you, in spirit and in truth, worship him this weekend.